my faithful and loyal readers and listeners. Welcome to another segment <coughs> of Verse of the Day. Today's verse comes from Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, which says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and you may enjoy long life on the earth. <coughs> so today's verse is Paul's second illustration of what submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ should look like. This illustration is that of children to their parents, or children and their parents. (coughs) Although the word children does not necessarily indicate small children, still under their parents' supervision, the context suggests children who are still in the process of being trained by their parents. So the word obey is stronger than the command given to wives who are to submit, which is found in verse uh, 5, verse 22, which says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. <coughs> For this is right, which is the f- uh, final phrase of verse 1. Is uh, so, so this is right, which is the final phrase of verse 1, provides the reason for the previous exhortation and refers to behavior that is consistent with God's commands to bolster his instruction, his, in, his, in, his injunction that children obey their parents, which can be found in Exodus 20 verse 12 and Deuteronomy. 5 verse 16, so obeying parents is one way children honor their parents. In the Decalogue, the fifth commandment is the first commandment with a promise. So in Ephesians 6, 3, the omission of the additional phrase from Exodus chapter 20 verse 12, which is uh, the phrase the Lord your God is giving you, Universalizes the promise to mean the earth in general, whether in the landing land of Canaan in particular. So, to clarify all of this and make it a little easier to understand, here's what I'm saying. Normally, children of Christian parents remain under parental guidance until they become part of another family unit through marriage. So what this means is Paul is essentially telling us three um, three things in these three verses about a child's relationship with his or her parents. With his or her parents. So the first thing he is telling us is that small children must be taught to obey and honor parents through godly training and instruction. And we can find a perfect example of that over in the book of Proverbs. Specifically two verses you can find in Proverbs 
Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24, which says, Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. And the second one is found in Proverbs chapter 22, verse <coughs> 6, which says, Start off in children on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. And it's the first thing is that small children must be taught to obey and honor their parents through godly training and instruction. And the second thing are Second thing is, older children, even after marriage, should continue to show respect for their parents' counsel. That's found in verse 2 of today's passage, which says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. And we are to honor them. Older children to honor them in old age through care and financial support. You can find evidence for that in Matthew 15. Matthew 15 verses 1 through 6, which says, Then some Pharisees of the law when the Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother. Anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Thus we nullify the word of God by the sake of their tradition. So that's the second thing. Older children, even after marriage, you can use your respect for their parents' counsel or their parents' advice. And they should also honor them in their old age through care and financial support. It's not to the child's old age, but to the in the parent's old age. And the third and final thing is our children who honor their parents will be blessed by God here on earth and in eternity. Which is how this passage ends, which says, So that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the Earth, which is the exact quotation from Deuteronomy 5, verse 16. So today's Bible readings are for Samuel 1, 1 through 2, 21, John 5, 1 through 23, Psalm 105, verses 37 through 45, and Proverbs 14, 28, and 20. Nine. So that concludes our verse of the day segment. Our next segment will be longer, so it's going to be a slightly it's going to look a little slightly different. You gotta hang on just a minute because we're about ready to start into John chapter four. So we just finished our verse of the day segment. So our next segment is our one 
to the Bible in one year segment. So this is day 127 of that segment. <coughs> so our focus for today is going to be on John chapter 4, verses 1 through 42. You know, that's a long stretch. So buckle up your seatbelt, because this is going to be a little bit of a long one. So yesterday we finished chapter 3 with Jesus leaving Jerusalem and heading back to Galilee. But he made a brief stop on his journey in a region known as Samaria. And chapter 4 illustrates how the New Age inaugurated an outreach that went beyond strictly Jewish boundaries to Samaritans and Gentiles, for you see, faithful Jews normally <coughs> avoided contact with both groups. Jesus, however, came to be the Savior of the world, so with that, we're gonna pick up in chapter 4, in starting in verse 1, <coughs> and we're gonna go through verse 3. So it says, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but <coughs> his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Jesus left Judea for Galilee because the Pharise because of the Pharisees' growing interest in his baptismal ministry. So the shortest journey from Judea to Galilee was through Samaria. So now we gotta understand what Samaria actually is. So in the northern kingdom of Israel and its capital, Samaria is where the name of this region came from, fell to the Assyrians in 772 BC. Many Jews were deported to Assyria, and foreigners were brought in to settle the land. So we find that in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 24. 2 Kings 17, verse 24. So, many of the remaining <coughs> Jews intermarried with these foreigners, resulting in the intermarriage of Israelites and pagan idolaters. So, this mixed group of Jews and pagans who lived north of Judea, which was the southern kingdom, in the Roman province, you had the southern kingdom of Judah in the Roman province of Judea. So who lived north of Judea were called Samaritans. So the Jews thought of the Samaritans <coughs> as a compromised people. So to put that in terms that you might be able to understand a little bit better, the Jews thought the Samaritans were half-breeds. And there was intense hostility, but the groups because of the Jews 
belief that they were a compromised people. They were uh, people who were lower class, extremely lower class. So after Jesus' initial encounter with the Samaritan woman is described, the story <coughs> develops around the topic of living water and true worship. So this woman, the Samaritan woman, demonstrated a growing understanding of Jesus' identity as the conversation unfolded. And the contrast between Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman is striking. So Nicodemus was a well-educated, highly regarded rabbi, and he was a man. So we don't even know the name of this Samaritan woman. She was likely not very well educated and was considered something of a social outcast because of her immorality. So what is striking, what is shocking, what is striking is that the Samaritan woman responded much more positively to Jesus than Nicodemus did. So now we're going to pick up in verse 4 and we're going to go through verse 6. So, which says, now he had to go through Samaria. So, he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. So, the fact that Jesus had to go through Samaria is both geographically and theologically significant. So, geographically passing through Samaria was the shortest distance between Judea and Galilee. So, understand that theologically it pointed to the imminent meaning being ordained by God. So, this encounter took place at noon, contrasting with Nicodemus' conversation with Jesus at night. So, Jesus sat by a well. So, what does this have to do? What's this whole big thing about wells? So, wells were normally located outside the village along the main road. And so women would typically draw water in the morning and again in the evening. But this Samaritan woman, who may have been a social outcast, we already talked a little bit about that. So this Samaritan woman may have been a social outcast since she came to draw water in the heat of the day when others would not want to be there. So the well was located near the Samaritan village of Sychar, just east of Mount Gerasim. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. So hold on to that thought for right now. So it was at this place that Jesus arrested from his weariness, and his arrest demonstrates his true humanity. So now we're going to pick up in verse 7. We're going to go through verse 10. So when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. So the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. 
Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. <coughs> so the Samaritan woman was shocked that a Jewish man would ask her for a drink. So Jesus turned the conversation quickly to spiritual matters and the issue of eternal life. So many Old Testament references speak of thirsting for God as one thirst for waters. Thirst for water. And so see Jesus had sent the disciples into the Samaritan village to buy food. Right? And so what's significant about that? So Jews did not typically associate with Samaritans. But apparently Jesus did not fear that his disciples would be defiled by eating food prepared by Samaritans. Which brings us to the main point of this entire passage. Here's what it is. Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman reveals his commitment to his Heavenly Father's purpose and his own inner desire to bring people of all races, cultures, and backgrounds into a personal relationship <coughs> with God. Jesus' consuming passion was to save the spiritually lost, a goal far more important to him than food and drink. And we must follow Jesus' example just as the woman did by telling the townspeople because all around us people are ready to hear God's word and we must not delay and be unwilling to speak to them about their spiritual needs and about Jesus who can meet that need. So now we're going to pick up in verse 11 and go through verse 15, which says, Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well, and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will, be, will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to her, said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So the woman misunderstood Jesus' offering of living water interpreting it literally as a reference to flowing water in contrast to stagnant well water. She knew that Jesus had no means to draw water, and surely he could not think himself to be greater than Jacob, who had first dug the well. The belief that Jacob dug the well was based on tradition and not on scripture. We've got to understand that. So Jesus clarified his point by contrasting the well water with the gift of the living water, which represented the eternal life that comes from the Holy Spirit. So while the woman responded more positively than Nicodemus, she likely understood Jesus' words literally.
episode, which brings us to another main point in this passage, and that's this water that Jesus is talking about. So the water Jesus offers is spiritual life. <coughs> to experience this life, one must drink the living water. The word drink, which is the Greek word here, is the Greek word pieto, from the Greek word pio. It is in the present imperative tense, representing continuing or repeated action. So this act of drinking is not a momentary single experience. It is an ongoing lifestyle. Drinking the water of life requires regular interaction with the source of the living water, Jesus Christ <coughs> himself. So no one can continue to drink the water of life if he or she neglects a relationship with Christ and becomes disconnected from the source of the water. Such people will dry up spiritually and become, as Peter describes it, springs without water in Second Peter 2, verse 17. So now we're going to pick up in verse 16 and move through verse 20, <coughs> which says, He told her, Go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have been, you have had five husbands, and the man you are with now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus next turned his spotlight on the woman's moral life. What her answer to Jesus' comment about her husband was technically true. She failed to mention that she was currently living with a man who was not her husband. But unlike Nicodemus, she did not flee from the light. Even as she attempted to redirect the conversation away from herself. But Jesus' knowledge of the woman's situation once again demonstrates his divinity. So her question concerning the proper place of worship was a long-standing debate <coughs> between the Samaritans and the Jews. So you see, Mount Gerasim was the Samaritans' holy place. And so if you remember earlier, we, what did we say? Uh, this village was located that the village was located just east of Mount Gerasim. So now we see that Mount Gerasim was the Samaritans' holy place. Samaritan's holy place. But the Samaritans had built a temple on Mount Gerasim, which the Jews would later destroy. So now you can see why this this great big uh, bunch of hostility between the Jews and Samaritans. They're both similar ethnically, 
not similar religiously. So now we're going to pick up in verse 21 and go through verse 24. Pay attention to these verses because these are good verses. We're going to go into some detail on these verses. Here's what it says. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans will worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. And the time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So Jesus' response to this woman's question was to note that a change in redemptive history was taking place. So true worship would not be relegated to a particular place. And in fulfillment of this statement, Believers can worship God no matter what location they are located in. Because God is in spirit, he is everywhere present and can be worshipped anywhere. So the Samaritan religion was not an orthodox religion and unlike the Jews, they did not worship the one true and living God. And the Samaritan Bible only contained the Pentateuch, which are the first five books of the Old Testament. So their failure to accept much of God's revelation meant that they knew little about Him. So Jesus' statement that salvation is from the Jews, that's what we see in verse 22, means that the God of Israel sent Jesus the Messiah to bring salvation to the world. So now let's take a little deeper into the phrase that worship in spirit and in truth. So Jesus here is teaching us three big things in this small four verse section. So the first thing Jesus is teaching us is the place of worship is not the issue. God's primary concern is our spiritual attitude. So that's the first thing. The second thing is the word in spirit points to the level or depth at which true worship occurs. True worship must come from the heart. It should reflect godly character in a deeper and a deep inner devotion to God. <coughs> we must approach God and offer ourselves to Him in complete oneness with the spirit that is directed by the Holy Spirit. Above all, our worship must focus on God's character and attributes and be a heartfelt expression of our own spirit to God's spirit. And that's the second thing. The third thing we see is about the word truth, right? which is the Greek word aletheia which is a primary characteristic characteristic of God's nature and is personified, which literally means given human expression in Christ. So it is descriptive of the Holy Spirit and it is also at the heart of the Gospel 
message. True worship must be a reflection of and response to the truth of the Father that is revealed in the Son and received through the Spirit. Those who encourage worship that is not based upon the truth and teachings of God's Word pay attention to this heaven reality rejected the only real and legitimate foundation for true worship. So now we're gonna move into a we're gonna move on, we're gonna pick up in verse twenty five and go through verse twenty six. Which says the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I the one speaking to you am he. So Jesus felt free to acknowledge his messiahship to the woman, since the Samaritans did not believe the coming Messiah would be a political military figure. She was the only person before his trial to whom Jesus specifically acknowledged his messianic identity in this gospel. So now we're going to pick up starting in verse 27 and we're going to go through verse 33. This is another significant section. Here's what it says. It says, Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, What do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, <coughs> Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought to him food? So Jesus and the woman finished their conversation just as the disciples returned with food. And they were surprised to find him talking to a woman. And not only a woman, but a Samaritan woman. So why did they find this surprising that he was talking to a woman? <coughs> so it was very uncommon for Jewish religious leaders to speak with women in public. In fact, it was very uncommon for a Jewish man to even speak with a woman in public at this day and age. During this time. So the fact she was a Samaritan may have added to the surprise expressed by Jesus' disciples. But the disciples did not ask Jesus why he was speaking with this woman. This very probably could have been because Jesus regularly did things that surprised his disciples. So we see the woman left, and John makes the incidental comment that the woman left her water jar behind. So the very she left behind the very thing that brought her to this well in the first place. 
why why because the very thing that brought her to the well in the first place seemed completely unimportant and she made her way back to the village and as soon as the woman entered this town she found a crowd and informed them about her encounter with jesus so her response was much like that of andrew and philip finding others to tell about jesus so now we're going to pick up in verse 34 and we're going to go through verse 38 <coughs> which says my food jesus said is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work don't you have a saying it's still four months until harvest until you open your eyes and look at the fields they are ripe for harvest even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may be glad together thus the saying one sows and another reaps is true i sent you to reap what you have not worked for others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor so the disciples misunderstanding of what jesus was talking about provided jesus the perfect opportunity to speak to them about true food which is to do the will of god and jesus used a, prover a proverbial thought about harvesting crops to teach that the harvest cannot be rushed However, these fields, in this case the Samaritans who were about to arrive, were ready, whether the disciples realized it or not. So eternal life was at stake in the harvesting of these souls. So in a spiritual harvest, listen to this, pay attention to this. So in a spiritual harvest, everyone had a task. Some to sow the gospel seed, others to harvest the gospel crop. So those are the two tasks. The disciples were about to harvest a gospel crop. They did not sow. Understand that they were about to harvest a crop. They did not sow. So when the believers share, when believers share the gospel, the Holy Spirit uses to strengthen them spiritually. <coughs> the hard work that is referred to here that was already done could refer to the ministry of John the Baptist, but it could also refer to Jesus and the Samaritan woman. We're now going to pick up in verse 39 and finish this up. So here's what verse 39 says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. Because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world so the arrival of the people from the village 
illustrated Jesus' teaching to the disciples. The Apostle John underscores the Samaritans' faith in Jesus in these verses. So the woman's testimony bore fruit of eternal life. And the Samaritans declared Jesus to be the Savior of the world. So while Jerusalem failed to respond positively to Jesus, the Samaritan village was the site of a large gospel harvest. The believer should never be surprised at what God can do in an unlikely setting. For the disciples, Jesus' outreach to the Samaritans began a foundation for a future worldwide missionary outreach. So the ultimate takeaway from this incredibly important passage at the beginning of John's Gospel is simply this. Those who introduce others to Jesus and lead them to the point of accepting Christ and yielding their lives to Him are doing something of eternal significance. They will one day rejoice in heaven over those who were saved because of their prayers, their example, and their witness. At the same time, they must remain humble and never lose sight of the fact that any success they see in this service for Jesus is the result of the sacrificial work of Christ and the prayers and spiritual seed, the planting of others. In the same way, we will seldom see or experience the full results of our own spiritual labors, because other faithful Christians will come behind us and reap a spiritual harvest, or we have previously planted and invested in lives. But whether we plant the spiritual seeds of love and kindness that later cause someone to turn to God, or whether we pray with someone to actually receive Christ, we are all part of the same process. So there should be no competition among God's people when individuals come to Jesus. It is a reason for all Christians to rejoice, because that is the whole point of the church. And we will pick up from here tomorrow as we finish chapter 4 with a discussion of the healing of a royal official's son. And so tomorrow's Bible readings are for Samuel 2, 22-4-22, John chapter 5, verses 24-47, Psalm 106, verses 1-12, through 12, and Proverbs 14, verses 30-31. through 31.